That's really cool. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think what this chapter is going to teach you of Sadhana Pada, so let's all say it, Sadhana. Sadhana. And Pada. Pada. The path to realization, it's on practice. So it's how bad do you want it? Here's the three-step path. And it kind of shows you just like someone coming to class today, and I, you can't have expectations, but then if you follow this path, structure is created. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So we're going to create the structure for uh, how to kind of lay out the practice of yoga. In the first chapter, we know that that was all about um, concentration, or it was giving us the big picture, the foundation, the roadmap, and that's where Patanjali is saying, like, Okay, I'm going to give you, this is how you get to the eight-limb path to calm the fluctuations of the mind, right? And that was the one sutra that hopefully you all memorized, right? And it's yoga, chitta, vritti, nirodaha. Yoga is the calming of the fluctuations of the mind. So in book two, which we just read, we're going to get a practical step-by-step -step directions for reaching this state of being. Yoga Sutra 2.1, Tapas Vadyaya Ishvara Pranahani Kriya Yogaha. Fiery discipline, self-study and devotion to the divine self. Excuse me, I just belched. These are the actions of taking, uh, of to be taken to realize the state of yoga. So tapas is the mat that you're on. These used to be called tapas mats until people came around and like it became Lululemon or Jade or, you know, like became a, like a brand, right? Barefoot Yoga, all these different brands, Gaiam. But they're called tapas mats because the four corners of the mat, we come to the mat and no one can bug us, right? We all came to practice, we all became yoga teachers or on this path because we came to the mat and something magical happened came to the four corners of the mat, you sat in the center of it, you took a practice, but something got purified, right? Oh, you did? Very good. Julia, was it you? Oh, good job, girls. Very impressive. All right, so the idea of the tapas mat um, is something that comes from the Hatha Yoga Pradipika. They used to take like dung, poopy, and water, and they would make it almost like concrete, like a concrete floor, and that's what they practiced upon, right? And then it became this mat that we sit on where we find heat, fire, self-discipline. Girls, say anything you need to, to add into it if you have something to add. A burning desire, a burning passion. Fire is the purifying for force. But on your tapas mat, I want you to think about the idea of we do corpse pose here, right? And ata, we die now, and now is the time to begin again. So yogis really aren't afraid of death because in this moment we are here now. We already know that because of our tapas mat, because of our um, burning discipline and our passion and stuff like that, we have conditioned ourselves to know of death. It's kind of cool. Right? And it shows us that the inhale is springtime and the exhale is the fall or the death or the time of rebirth and renewal. But it's cyclical. So on your tapas mat, you're creating this self-discipline, this burning desire, this passion that ebbs and flows but always begins again. 
like your breath. Svadhyaya means self-study or sacred learning, um, and that is all about being wise. And Kriya Yoga is the yoga of action or purification. And um, I had mentioned before the action, there's seven of them that they talk about as Kriya Yoga practices, neti potting, the oil stuff, um, sucking in this really uh, long piece of cloth so you cleanse your internal organs and stuff like that. It's real fun. But yoga, what this sutra is saying is that yoga is the study of who you really are with the self-analysis um, to be free. So you use the study, you use the purification process and the heat and the discipline of the tapas to find freedom. Make sense? Mm -hmm. When you go to 2.3, you learn about the kleshas. So ignorance, egoism, attachment to pleasure, aversion to pain, and fear of death are the five obstacles to attain a state of yoga. A klesha, meaning an obstacle, is a hindrance to becoming enlightened. Does anybody have to have that specific kind of chocolate? Or have to have that certain kind of thing, right? You know? Or have to wear that certain kind of fabric because if you don't wear that fabric, you don't feel right? Or you have like your favorite shirt, right? That means that that's a klesha, that's a hindrance to your growth because you have this proclivity. A proclivity can be positive or negative, right? And what it's saying in here is that the kleshas need to be addressed because they're two sides of a coin. There's raga, which is pleasure, and dvesha, which is pain. Avidya is ignorance, incorrect perception, absence of self-awareness, lack of clarity, stupidity, not seeing things that there are. Oh, he'll change. Oh, she'll change. You know? Think, you know, when you think like you see something, maybe through rose-colored glasses, instead of just accepting it for what it really is. Um, the opposite of avidya is vidya, which means piercing clearly. What else in our practice is all about pure seeing and being totally present? Drishti. Very good. That was awesome, Tanya. So drishti. Look at how many similarities there are in our practice. There's so many things that are completely repetitive so that you really understand that everything that you're doing is to let go of your ego and your mind so that you can be free. So that you can not just practice, but really be present and tap into that pure seeing so that you can allow your true, true nature to shine so you can be authentic, right? Not so you can be like someone else, but that you can really be yourself. So you take yourself out of your animal brain, I just called it a blame, but out of your animal brain and um, fight or flight and into a higher state of consciousness where that's where you live in that golden high-rise apartment with the really nice floor and the big huge kitchen so you can have friends come over. Yeah. I'd be so happy. Asmita is egoism. What about me? Raga is attachment to pleasure. Dvesha is aversion to pain. Avnivesha, their survival instinct and fear of death. 
the essence of fear itself. It's what we do in Shavasana. And that's what I was talking about up above in the tapas mat. We die today and live every day after with no fear of death. So hopefully you girls, when you're talking about that tapas, that burning passion, it makes us not afraid, not fearful. A lot of people are afraid of death or follow some kind of uh, preconceived notion from a religious leader because it's fear-based. And this is saying, trust your inner light, trust your guru, because you are the divine. One of your names is the names of God. It says right here in the text we talked about last week. One of the names of God is Om. Om, we learned last week, was supposed to be spelled A-U-M, right? And A-U-M hits those different spots in your body, lower energetic channels for the A, center of your universe, your solar plexus for your U, M is in your heart and your throat speaking the truth, and then that last little part, that turiya, that little dot, is that where you transcend all space and time. So the interesting thing about Om, because that was your homework, right? We can talk about it now. Om is the precursor to Amen. <coughs> because Sanskrit, which the word Sanskrit means to polish. Have you ever heard that before? Right? Maybe I've told you or someone else has told you, but Sanskrit means to polish. And it's one of the most ancient languages, and it's the precursor to the romantic languages. So a lot of times when you say something like, Shtira, it could already tell you that it means strength because of the way that it's spelled or sounds, right? That makes sense? So the idea of um, this om is pretty cool because it um, brings you to your true home. Repetition and reflection of it destroys obstacles. But the A part of it is the three, the thing that looks like a three. And that actually means a waking state. For those of you who didn't do your homework, I'm giving you your homework. The circle of it is your you, which is your dreaming state. And then the mm, mm, good part of it is that little crescent, and that's your deep sleep, which Adults need like at least six hours of sleep so that your hippocampus can process things so your neurological pathways work really well. And little baby fingers only gets like three hours of sleep a night. The three is your waking state, which is the A. The ooh is your dream state, which is that oh, circle looking thing. And the mmm is your deep sleep state, which is the little turya, that little half moon. And the little dot is called the bindu, where you transcend all space and time. And that's some, why we do this. But isn't it interesting, on religious holidays in the Catholic faith, they put some ash here like another culture that believes in God. Oh. Mm -hmm. Is the dot the pond? Yeah. That's yeah. That's yeah. Where well, you transcend all space and time. Uh, mm, 
kind of like listen to it. It's like the resonance of a bell. You know, after you hit the bell, the bell doesn't stop. It has this, yeah, vibration, which is the sound of the earth. It's the hertz, the primordial essence. So as we go into we die today and live every day after with no fear of death, it's because we already know. We are divine. Yeah, because I'm American. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you'll see it written like that in, in ancient texts, or you'll see it written like that sometimes in other places. The purple book? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting, like, pretty soon we're just going to say, you know, when you text now, you, you're, it's like, are you, yeah. <laughs> right? So if that's what's happening. It's just going to be like, Bleh. yeah. So I found one app, but it, it's a little bit different than the Yeah. Yeah. Send it to the team. Yeah, okay. send it to the group. Well, these are the different states of being, the different states that you're in. Yeah. yeah. But we die today and live every day with no fear of death because we are always reminded of the power of Om and the way to bring us back to our true home is that divinity within. So we don't have to be afraid. So we don't have to have that klesha that most people have. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, so um, when we then get into like, do the five places show up in your asana practice, this is kind of funny, right? Okay, also I type really fast and spell check doesn't always work and I'm dyslexic, so some of these sayings look weird to you, but I fixed it on my sheet. Avidya means age. I have scoliosis and twists are a big problem. When I meet new teachers, I point to my back and I say the word scoliosis as if it was my name. Have you ever seen that? Or a variation of that? Asmita, mirror. When doing hip openers, I can feel everyone staring at me because I've been tight in my hips. I wonder if that cute boy slash girl noticed my shorts. Oh my god, this sucks. Okay, raga, desire or craving. I love doing advanced version of poses. Even when the teacher didn't call for it, it feels good, and I've always been really awesome at it. And sometimes I even add in my gymnastic moves to spice it up. Look at me, I'm in a handstand. And then everybody in the class stares at that person, and I swear to God, that shit happens all the time. As a teacher, you'll, you'll just, and you have to be like. <laughs> That's kind of like your question last night. And someone did come up to me and say, I've never done a backbend. And I got into it last night. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Right? Yeah. Abnivesha, or dvesha, clinging or aversion. The style of yoga has way too many forward folds. I'm considering trying another style of yoga. Oh, this is my favorite. Abnivesha, fear. I'll never be able to do a handstand. I saw someone fall out of it. Uh, on their hands and it seems like a bad idea. I went to a workshop and the teacher taught it and I went to the bathroom. That teacher was crazy. <laughs> you will always have the student who, who drinks water during crow 
or has to go to the bathroom. Miraculously has to go to the bathroom. Really? It's the human condition, right? Mm -hmm. But what would happen if we trusted the path of realization that the sutras is saying and we moved through it? Then we could really all go to the penthouse, right? It's pretty. The higher states of consciousness where you break through of that mental mind stuff and the chatter because it's not really who you are, but it's fear or um, you know, past experiences that are holding you back. By the rains. The penthouse. The penthouse. So, um, two point two. Is that that makes sense about the glaciers now? Mm -hmm. And it shows up all the time. Just look at what happens in your family when you go home tonight, or your, even your pets. Or, you know, if you're watching TV or you don't have anyone around, just watch the people around you. You'll see. We all do it. But what we're doing is we're falling awake, right? As yogis, we're falling awake. It doesn't always feel so good falling awake because you have a heightened state of awareness. But you've dropped in to a consciousness. And most people, like James Joyce says, live a very far distance away from their body. Have you ever heard that? I've said it before to you. Yeah, James Joyce. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Most of us just go through the motions, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're really here and present, you're going to feel more, you're going to experience more, and that's okay. You might be a little bit more emo. <laughs> but it, it, it also, uh, I think, will do these magic things that you're going to learn in book two and three, uh, four, three and four. I'm watching the cogs in your brain, so I'm just waiting for something. Okay, uh, 2.26, clear and distinct, unimpaired, discriminative knowledge is the means of liberation, right? So mindful meditation. Through the practice, the different accessories to yoga, when impurities are destroyed, there arises enlightenment, culminating in discriminative enlightenment, 2.28. So one thing that as we go into the next thing, I want you to remember we are always changing, we are always evolving, we are always transforming. Mm -hmm. That's why interpersonal relationships are so hard. That's why if you really are truly evolving, it, life is a little bit more bumpy. Doesn't make it bad, but you're gonna feel more. And you don't have to. You can turn off all that stuff. But if you transform, Magical stuff happens. That's the alchemy of the practice. That's where you turn, you know, like something hard into gold. Mm -hmm. You know? Or you take a piece of coal and it becomes a diamond. But it takes that pressure and that practice and that evolution and the working. Uh, discriminative in the sense of like um, enlightenment but you know you still 
are wary that, right? It's not like, oh, okay, I'm like, ta now, like that. But I'm still human. So it's enlightenment while you're still on the surface. Yeah, yeah. To me, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I I was just confused because I guess I feel like all of this You're gonna walk through walls. You're gonna float. Yeah. Yeah. You're gonna become Superman. <laughs> you are. Uh, you're gonna get like. Did you ever see I Honey? Know. I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah. <laughs> that is in chapter three. That. But I guess so. That's probably where descriptives stand out to me. It's like I would see. I would actually be indiscriminate in mm. that. But then how do you, yeah, because you hopefully, we're all here to be, as a yoga teacher, a servant of a servant, right? So if we go someplace else, that's not bad. I mean, that is bad. I've had friends who get so obsessed with their meditation and their mindfulness practice that they'll have to meditate for like five hours a day. They've had to get divorced. It's, you know, it's ruined their life. I mean... Yeah. It's ruined. It, it can ruin relationships if you aren't, do not have the discriminative place. And you just go into the land of bliss. Yeah. Would you say the one where, like, you know, like, stop spending time with people, though? You might stop spending time with people who aren't good for you anymore. Oh yeah, some people do do that. Yeah, it could be. It depends on what you see it as. That's a great question. We're going to talk about that in chapter four, the fast express routes to get there. Um, have you ever read the story of Siddhartha? Yes, right? No. Yep, Herman Hess. Uh, oh, it is? Yeah. He leaves his family. He is a prince, leaves all his worldly possessions, and goes to live in the forest to become an, a, a monk. Some people do that, but there's ramifications to it. Right? I've had friends who do it as like a retreat. <laughs> then they come back home. But some people do. There's some gr great um, uh, videos and documentaries that you can find online. There's these uh, monks who won't touch their feet on the ground. And they're in these hammock things. And because of it, you get like elephantitis of like your, your different parts of your body, right? It's fascinating. There's monks who are, are, you know, people who won't lower their hands. And then their hands get stuck here. Or have you ever seen those people who don't cut their nails? Yes. <laughs> and they, they like become like, yeah. 
But she cut hairs. Yeah. How long was her hair? Yeah. Oh, it wasn't like all nappy dreads? No. And it was like down to her head? Yeah, it was straight. It takes all kinds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, right, is if it functions well for you. So you talk about your friends who meditate five hours a day and get divorced. If that feels good to them, then, you know, then that is what feels good to them. If it ruined their life, if they feel like it ruined their life, like you said, then that's something to question. Right. But if they're kind of okay with the outcome. Without women discrimination. Yeah. It's two sides of a coin, right? Yeah. 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 So it's. Those are the words that stood out to me, actually. Yep. 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 Remain on this world, in this world, and not If you can't go to work, and all you're doing is meditating, and your relationships um, don't work out, and you can't take care of your dog anymore, you know, like, there might be something to think about. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, they might really like it, but uh, what was that Jonestown massacre? And they said, like, drink the Kool Aid, and people yeah. drink the Kool Aid. And, yeah, you know, they thought it was okay. I mean, they listened to him because they believe in him. It's such a, uh, it's a, a subtle nuance, it's a subtle walk that you take. Yeah. No, you all have really valid points. I think it's good. So on that point, let's, um, let's talk about the yamas and niyamas, okay? Yama, niyama, asana, pranayama, pratyahara, dharana, dhyana, samadhi, oh, ashtanvagare. Okay, the eight limbs. Is what we're going to talk about. As we go through each one, we'll say them out loud, right? Have you all given your stories on them yet? Or given your reports on them? You're almost done with them? Cool. So you're learning a lot. The eight limbs of yoga are moral restraints, personal observances, postures, breath control, sensory withdrawal, concentration, meditation, and cognitive absorption. What I want you to think about is that these golden rules to live by are spokes on a wheel, right? So a chakra is a wheel, correct? And have you ever seen those old time wheels from like old movies, right? The wheel still rolls if something's a little bit jacked, doesn't it? If one might be a little bit broken. So I want you to think of the idea of effortless effort as we go through this is like, a lot of people look at the yamas and niyamas like a ladder. You can't get here without doing this, right? I mean, or the uh, eight limbs. You can't get here without doing this. You can't reach this state without being here. You can't meditate if you haven't practiced these certain things, right? But I want you to think of them as all part of the same context. They're all in conversation with each other. Because to me, you can't really have one without the other. Okay? Mm, right? I'm rocking the boat here. I'm going to say maybe it's not. 
What if it is a unified whole, like an Enzo in uh, Zen or Buddhism? It's always the circle. Everything's circular. Just thinking about it out loud. Because Ashto means eight. Anga means limb. Yama. Let's all say Okay. That means um, self-restraint, control, the do-nots, interpersonal relationships. I always like to say yama to your mama. Right? That's the easiest. Well, it's the easiest way to remember it, right? You'll never forget it now. Okay, you, if you yama to your mama, if, hopefully you like your mama, and it, as my mom always told me when I was growing up, if the boy you're dating doesn't like his mom, run fast. Right? right? You've heard that. Oh, well, there you go, right? So whether it's a boy or a girl that you like, if they don't like their parents, you better kind of check that out. Okay, then you've got... Niyama, which is fixed observances, rules, precepts, the personal dues. It's the interpersonal. So, Niyama. So, Yama and Niyama, I like to think of as golden rules. Like, that's something you would teach children, right? Asana is the seat, the physical posture, sitting on the platform or the breath. You all know how to say this. It's Asana. Yay. And then pranayama is breath control. Pranayama. But we know breath control isn't just about the idea of breath control. Prana means vital life force. Right? It's that subtle energy that flows through your body. We have this beautiful solar plexus that creates the heat. Pra is the smallest atom. Yama means mastery or control or to observe or witness. So you're actually the observer of the breath as it travels through your body. And energizes every living cell of your being. So the yama, niyama, asana, pranayama, these are the gross or the outer things. These are the, like the first kind of four things that hopefully we all have our shit together and that's, we believe that, right? Then if you do that, then you start to go deeper and dive into the practice as you're on this beautiful wheel of life um, that are your internal or your subtle practices. Pratyahara means sense withdrawal, retreat of senses. So let's all say it. Awesome. Dharana is concentration, focusing the mind, doing one thing at a time. It's kind of inferring that multitasking isn't so good. <laughs> Dhyana is meditation. And then samadhi, cognitive absorption, perfect meditation, super conscious enlightenment, one with your higher self. Samadhi. So if you go from this gross to a subtle practice, you're creating this path to an end result. But it doesn't just stop, right? It's like cyclical because you keep having to practice. So what I want you to think about is that this is a resiliency practice. 
I like to say pragmatic resiliency training, just like in MBSB, MSB, blah, MBSR, John Kabat-Zinn. When you practice pragmatic resiliency training, you realize you're not your thoughts. You become proactive versus reactive during stressful times, and life is pretty fucking stressful right now and really weird. <laughs> Everything is in flux. And when things are in flux, just like in a tornado, there's always a calm at the center of the storm. So like you ever seen like a hurricane? It's called the eye of the hurricane. It's like, just like what just happened now. It's like quiet and there's space. And it's like, this is freaking weird. Because all this woo-woo stuff is going around, but you're grounded and centered. And that's pragmatic resiliency training that you don't ca get caught up in that bleh, and you can ebb and flow and go with the flow so that you can be present in something that's always changing. So through this ever-changing um, experiences, you have a steady relationship with being grounded. If you can surf the breath or ride the waves of the breath of life, that's where the magic is, right? And then we go back to the first sutra. Yoga chitta vritti narodaha. You are not your thoughts. Yoga is the calming of the fluctuations of the mind. They're not talking about the asanas. They're talking about the yoga, right? Where you're yoking together your imbalances and your balance, you know, the steady stuff in you, and you're finding harmony. Is it starting to make sense? Okay, cool. Um, so my question to you is like, when are you in the zone? Is samadhi attainable? And I think I've talked about this before, but who likes to paint? Who likes to cook? Who likes to run, walk, dance, sing, have SEX? Um, I don't know. Think of other things that you like to do. Spin. Um, you know, something that's a passion that you do. Reading. Going to a good movie with butter popcorn. Gardening. Hugging your kids. Swimming. Getting your hair cut. No, just kidding. <laughs> right? Doing a backbend. But whatever it is, do you ever have that where you're just like transcend all space and time and you're like, it's just blissful? Is that samadhi? For example, when you are in Savasana for any single time? Right? Yeah, one of the places I work with right now, we have a month-long Savasana challenge where we're trying to keep people in there for more than 10 minutes to show them how after you move through your physical practice, the asana isn't what you're there for. It's for the Shavasana. Because that's where the magic happens. That's where your neurological pathways, your systems start to really reap the benefits. Yoga Sutra 2.3, Ahimsa Satya Asteya Brahmacharya Aparigraha Yama. 
The yamas or moral restraints are non-violence, truthfulness, non-stealing, continence, and greedlessness. So page seven, let's talk about this a little bit. Ahimsa, who did that report? You did? Awesome. It's about non-violence, violence in thoughts, words, and actions to you and to others, right? So you can chime in anytime you want to, but thought, speech, and action is what we're talking about. And that's why I like to end class with the hands to write forehead for a thought, mouth, and heart. But yogis take the great vows to become one, and these are all the maha, these yamas, the great vows. When you're doing ahimsa, that's really challenging. And I want you to kind of think about this tonight when you go home. You can journal about it if you want to. But really, do we ever pass the first principle, the first precept of the eight limb path? Because ahimsa is really hard. It's very easy to non-harm someone else or to like not eat meat. I'm sorry, I'm a yogi who likes to eat everything. But like... You don't have to be a vegan because did you say something nasty to yourself today? Did you think some really mean thought about someone who was pissing the shit out of you? Did you like, I don't know, flip someone off when you were driving? Right? Did you step on a bug? I don't know, but like, seriously, ahimsa's like really hard. How do you ever really pass that? Because that is our practice. Satya, truthfulness, honesty, authenticity. Asteya, non-stealing. The idea of ownership is limited. So like stealing time or being late, you can't get it back, right? So that's a form of stealing. What's another form of stealing? You know, we don't have to talk about it now, but brahmacharya is interesting because like they talk about it as sexual continence. But it's about your use of your energy. So like in olden times, maybe it was like, you know, like you can't have sex. You're gonna, you have to be like a nun or a monk or whatever. But like what if it's like if your neighbor's partner is out of town, you don't go sleep with your neighbor because they're gone. Right? Just simple stuff, right? And the idea of like using your sense organs or your energy in a positive way or in moderation. Make sense? It doesn't say, like, stop having sex with your partner or if you're married, stop having sex because the sutras say so. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying, like, be discriminative with it. Okay. Uh, Aparigraha, greedlessness, non-hoarding. There's this wonderful Upanishad story about your hands and your feet. Look, my feet can do this. My hands can do this. My brain can do that too. Right? But I can go like that. I can go like that. Uh-huh. This one really likes to not let go, right? Yeah, a parigraha. So it's the idea of letting go, non-hoarding. Don't hold on to it. You are not your thoughts. And the Upanishads are these very beautiful old texts and stories and fables 
And there's cartoons of the Mahabharata that she grew up on. But these are all called the Maha, the great vows. The Yamas are intended to govern interpersonal relationships or the way we act with others. Yama to your mama. If the goal of yoga is to experience the oneness of being, then the Yamas reinforce the goal by minimizing the separation between ourselves and others. So I was thinking like Bob Marley's One Love, or his son wrote that song, Loving is My Religion. I like that song. But it is, it's all about one. You know, you can't, it's the same as a religious saying, what's that, do unto others? Is... There you go. Yeah, that. That. Saucha Santosha Tapa Swadaya Yishvara Pranihani Niyama. The niyamas on 3.2, uh, 3.2, or inner, are personal observances, cleanliness, contentment, fiery discipline, self-study, and devotion to the divine self. So sauchas, cleanliness, purity in thoughts, words, and actions, sentosha, contentment, promoting happiness, that's what we talked about when we were reading the sutras. Um, tapas, that fiery discipline, we um, spent time on that uh, just moments ago. Um, Svadhyaya is self-study and Ishvara is the God or the divine within so this is sometimes called the three-step path to enlightenment Sausha, Santosha, and Svadhyaya Two point three three. when disturbed by disturbing thoughts reflect on the opposite the idea is, is that you're not denying things, but everything is impermanent, so this too shall pass. A good teacher, in which you all are and will be, pushes people's buttons just enough to encourage a broader perspective. And then you can think about, when is the time you've been able to shift your state of mind? Don't you think that you've done that during yoga or through breath? Mm -hmm. Where you can flip perspectives and see things out of a different lens, realize that that thing was bugging the crap out of you really wasn't what it was <coughs> because you assumed something. And I always was told that when you assume something, you make an ass out of you and me. Yeah, right? So this is all different ways to not be your thoughts. It's how to reframe, how to rewire the brain, release the samskaras, which are the broken records. You can change your mood and you can change your life through the practice of yoga. Anxiety, depression, feeling disconnected, stress, all the things that are affecting people, especially kids and then the parents because they're watching their parents or people that you're seeing around the world right now, all of this leads to that black hole of depressiveness. So this idea of rewiring the brain just by practicing yoga is awesome. That's why we do alternate nostril breathing. That was the first tool to help reset the neurological systems, to reboot your superhuman machine. And that's why we do things like breath of fire to get the energy to move up so that we can get that latent dormant stuff or stuff that's toxic out. And then the deep diaphragmatic breathing, even running is good for people who are in this state. There's so many things that are good for you. 
so that we can um, really um, be. 2.35, ahimsa, and then it goes on. I'll, I'll stop reading the Sanskrit so we can keep moving forward. But uh, Henry, uh, Henry James stated that three things in the human life are important. The first is to be kind, the second is to be kind, and the third is to be kind. What? Patanjali talks about this sutra, 2.46, about the asana practice, how the seat should be steady and joyful. Shtira, steady, grounded, and strong. And sukha, joyful, sweet, and easeful. So we're ensuring that each asana is connected, and it's a balance of steady and easy. How was book two? You liked it? Easier than book one. So book one was laying out the path. And the second one's all about how badly you want it. This is what you have to do, right? Yama, niyama. Now we're going to learn about, because we've gone from the gross and we've described the gross, now we're going to go into the more subtle things, the deeper things, those four limbs that seem so unattainable. And it's talking about your vibhuti pada in book three. So vibhuti pada, your extraordinary powers, your supernormal powers. It's how you delete and reset your mind so that you're the best version of yourself. Excuse me. Vibhuti means sacred ash, and it's what remains after the fires of transformation have burned. The chapter opens with a description of the three internal practices and ends with a catalog of the miraculous results you get when you use these three practices together. The supernatural powers that come with diligent practice are called siddhas. Yeah, siddhas. And for those of you who know my little program, Super Stretch, siddha means super, superpowers. I didn't create anything. I just described it in a tangible way. Do you pronounce that siddha? Yeah, siddha. Do you know Siddhi, siddha. Yeah, siddha. You can spell it S-I-D-D-H-A or S-I-D-D-H-I-S as plurals. Just means your superpowers. So you get supernatural powers that with diligent practice. And united these extraordinary supernormal powers, together they are called Sayama. And it's spelled S-A-M-Y-A-M-A, -A -A, but it's Sayama. So let's all practice that. Sayama. Very good. So there's no, it's not Samyama. <coughs> it's Sayama. And you get a choice. We can not read the 196 aphorisms and keep going through these two books. Or we can skim through the 196 aphorisms. 
the last two books. We have Trente Minutos. Cheat sheets or look at the book. Oh, cheat sheets. Cheat sheets. I just get understand more. Yeah. Okay. So please just read these sentences because it totally makes sense in this book. But if I go to page six in the uh, just the aphorism sheets, what it starts talking about is that the three together are called Sayama. That's number four. Five, by mastering Sayama, the light of knowledge or prajna dawns. And if Sayama is applied to the stages of practice, these three are more intimate practices than the previously mentioned ones. So you're going and diving deeper. You're suppressing the latencies of fluctuations of the mind, so you are able to find a calm state of being. And this is where you get your superpowers. You get to uh, see the past, present, and future. You can change, um, or you, time is mutable, uh, mute, mute, like mutative, mm -hmm. mutable. Um, uh, word is more important. Uh, you can, if you go to page seven, if you, uh, Look at like 22, karma is either fast, slow, or uh, infructifying by practicing sayama on karma or importance. Foreknowledge of death can be acquired, so you can predict your death. You can be like a fortune teller. 23, you, um, you, people like you and you get strength. 24, um, you can have strength of elephants. Uh, if you start going deeper, if you practice sayama on the sun, if you're this, uh, this is solar entrance of your body, cosmic regions are acquired. If you practice on the moon, the lunar entrance, you can know about the stars. Um, you can, by practicing 32, Sayama and the corneal light was a, a big tantric practice. Every inhale and exhale, you focus up through like the little bindu space above the eyebrows then um, that you can see siddhas. You can get all your superpowers just by doing that. And that's a big tantric practice if you practice any tantric yoga. Mm -hmm. um, if you practice sayama on the heart, knowledge of the mind is acquired. So you're getting all of these um, effulgent qualities where your body becomes bright and luminous and radiance and um, they say that if you practice yoga and mindfulness, you look 12 to 15 years younger than what you are. <laughs> For sure. I'm old. Older than dirt, as my nephew says. Um, if you read the book Autobiography of a Yogi, by Paramahansa Yogananda, you can see a lot of this stuff happening, and he talks about the experiences or the people that he saw this or the gurus that he practiced with. It's a really cool book. I highly recommend it. Um, but I know I was teasing you before, but like they say that you can, if you flip to page eight, um, power of minification, the ability to get as light as cotton wool and pass through the sky. You can walk through walls. Um, power of rapid movement of the mind. You can have your organs not be dependent on your mind or body. Uh, 
liberation of evil. Um, any Marvel comic that you can think of came from this. It's crazy. Yeah. in um, Vegas that mm -hmm. practice. It's really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, any like magic trick you can think of, all the movies that you can think of, um, you know, uh, it's pretty crazy. But the idea of you become a bodhisattva, you become these like very inspired, enlightened beings that have superpowers and can do pretty cool things. And uh, yeah. That's what this chapter is all about. Because you are not your thoughts. So you are the practitioner of coming into a more enlightened state of being where you can like levitate. And how many of you played light as a feather, stiff as a board as a kid? Mm -hmm. uh, right? Hello, yoga. Right? You are not your thoughts. So if you take your thoughts out of the equation, anything's possible. It's that effortless effort. It's the freedom, it's the liberation. It's pretty cool. So how does this then connect with like the mind-body connection? Because I feel like that's a whole other part of like holistic health, but actually they aren't disconnected. Right. So if you're not your thoughts. But you're still, Unified. Yep. Uh-huh. What it's saying is all those negative thoughts, all those things that take you off your path or make you disconnected from your head and your heart. Oh, I have to answer that email. Oh, I have to reply to that. Oh, I have to clean my house. Oh, I have to, like, do this. Oh, I have to, I'm going to watch that TV show because I can't stop my mind from moving around. But if you practice the art of yoga, you can create balance and create connections where there's disconnects, you know? So, the fact that, like, our thoughts do affect our body so much, mm -hmm. how, like, in some cases, that's really useful. Yeah. And so, how does that, are you trying to let go of that entirely, or are you just trying to let go of the negative? Both. Well, I mean, I'm aware of my thoughts, but some people ruminate on the negative thoughts, or some people get obsessed when we're talking about the places, the Raga and Vesha thing. You know, we're back to that same thing, you know, that we were just talking about with that discriminative... Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's almost the same concept. You're trying to create wholeness and harmony and get rid of pain and suffering. Most people live in a state of pain and suffering, or confusion or delusion, right? And then what happens is, and I'm so not a therapist, so like I just am playing this, and anybody who's like really, you know, I'm just a philosopher or a storyteller, but if we can get rid of pain and suffering, and we can find harmony and balance 
through yoga, then we'll have more stable people, more happier people. But most people, because they're so disconnected and they're not really living their truth, they're maybe keeping up with the Joneses or trying to do something because someone told them to do it, rather than really listening to themselves, then are they present? Is their mind and their body working together? Or are they just going through the motions? I once participated in a meditation that went something to the effect of like, you are not your thoughts, you are more than your thoughts. And we had this whole conversation of acknowledging your thoughts but not being defined by your thoughts, or not being defined by your body. And so therefore allowing that fluctuation between the mind, body, spirit connection instead of just being like, I am. Julia, 6'11", such and such pound, this, 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 or I can't do this. I am Julia thinking about this, da, 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 instead of, but like, honoring that, yes, that's there, but not being defined by those things. And that always helped me with that idea of, it's not about disconnecting from it, it's about understanding that I'm not, that doesn't define me, it doesn't define my state. I can transcend that and be more than the fact that I can't slow my mind down right now. Okay, or I can't touch the ground right now. Okay, but that doesn't define then me. And that I think is where a lot of that suffering comes from. Of, well, if I could just get my head to touch my foot, mm -hmm. life would be great. Mm -hmm. But I can't do that, mm -hmm. so therefore I have to suffer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did it? Yeah, it did. Yeah, it's yeah. Another thing that this does, which I really think is important, is that if we do take the great vow to become one, and we are all one, and we practice the maha, the great rules that we're learning through yoga or yoga. To find harmony is to realize that the shit that goes on in our heads or the challenges that we have, we're not the only person having this challenge. Mm -hmm. That there, we're all having this same, we are all meat puppets having the same freaking human condition happening mm -hmm. to us, but we all think that we're alone and that no one else is having this experience. I can't talk to anybody, you know, so that Indra's web, this great network of the universe out there, this cosmic consciousness that we can tap into when we get into this higher state of being, is greater than us. But we are not alone because we're all part of the whole. And the whole is part of me. 
We could sing Kumbaya now. But, but the idea, it, 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 for some people, that's why they like religion, or that's why they like do drugs, or that's why they become a sex addict, or that's why they become you know, whatever they do that gets them off, that they become addicted to, even if it's bad or good, whatever it is. But that's because that's what makes them feel real and alive. So if we could figure out that, like, we're part of something greater and we're not alone, we don't have to go off the deep end, but we can collectively, as a whole, do something together. Is that bad? Mm -hmm. So these powers that you get in book three or in book four, it's all about liberation. Um, it's called um, uh, Kaivalya Pada. So we, in book three, did I kind of answer that? Yeah, okay. Um, thank you everyone for sharing, I appreciate it. But in book three, as we're talking about the extraordinary powers, all we're doing is deleting and resetting our minds so that we're, we're the best version of ourselves. In a lot of ways, when you get these superpowers, really what you're learning is compassion for others, right? So as a teacher, you're inspiring people, not just like inspiring by the breath, because that's really all you're going to be doing is helping people breathe. But you're also inspiring people like a motivational speaker would. You know what I'm saying? You're like inspiring them. Be present. Drop into awareness into your body. Go be the person that you want to be. Go do the things that you want to do. And transcend your thoughts that are kind of distracting you. Just like what you were saying, Julia, right? So that you can do what Katie was saying, is that you, so that you can move mountains. Whether it's metaphorically or it's like actually real, do it. You know? And, and then when you meditate and have this continuous flow and the subject and object become one, you get these amazing superpowers. And it unlocks um, where you can dive deeper into subject matter and it will reveal the secrets to you. You know, if you studied this over and over and over again, it'd be really super easy. But it's the first time you're reading it, so you're like, what the fuck is this shit? Right? Okay? But then if you dive into it deeper, it becomes easier. You keep peeling away the layers till you get to the heart of the matter. Or present moment is all you need to know, the past and the future. Or some of the siddhas that you learn is like previous birth, reading minds, invisible, invisibility, like um, Harry Potter. Right? You know, you have a magic cloak, you have strength, you have super senses, levitation. One thing that Patanjali talks about in book three that we haven't, I haven't brought out other than your superpowers is that Patanjali makes it clear, and I'm on page eight of the cheat sheets, that while the superpowers may seem nifty, they are major obstacles to attaining samadhi. The best course of action is to be unattached to the siddhas and not let your ego get snared or you will end up at square one or worse. So you can always go into a positive or negative direction, right? And we said that when we were talking about the chitta with the, and the vrittis with the flow of your mind. You can go in the flow of one direction or you can go in the flow of another. And do you guys like Spider-Man? Right? So what did Peter Parker's uncle say to him? 
With great power comes great responsibility. Yes. So you yogis have great power as you keep diving deeper and deeper into your practice and your neurological pathways, your central nervous system is flowing and you're on fire because everything is active, everything is vibrant. They say that you can light up like a Christmas tree when you practice yoga. All your nadis can light up and that's where like maybe Jesus got his glow that everybody saw because he practiced yoga, right? They always talk about that there's a glow or an aura or there's a, a thing around someone who's practicing yoga for a long time and you really like are like, oh, cool, right? Well, that's awesome. That could be the great power that you get. You just have to remember that you don't want to go down the evil path. There are yoga teachers who do that. They sleep with all their students, or they start sex cults, or they do, like, no, really nasty things. I'm saying, I mean, it sounds funny, but it's, you know, or, like, their students sue them because they say they were raped, you know, or they lose their business because they do something inappropriate. There's lots of times where your ego can get in the way once you get these cool powers. So Patanjali's already telling you, okay, remember to be balanced and keep a harmonious state of being. In page 9, the idea of Kaivalya Pada, where you get that freedom, that liberation, which is called moksha. This chapter addresses the subject of Kaivalya, the highest form of samadhi or perfect emancipation. So, you know, like you got like all the chunk of like book one is the foundation. Book two is like it gives you the meat. Here's the way to get to them. Book three is the um, sayamas, right? Your superpowers. If you do these really deep things and go deep, deep internally, you're going to get like superpowers, right? But use these powers wisely because you can always go to the dark side, Luke. <laughs> right? And then, I do think that the, actually the um, Star Wars was based upon uh, yo the yoga's philosophy. George Lucas was really into this stuff. And even last night, for those of you who were at the wheel thing, like just talking about the story of the, um, the male and female and like how the sun and the moon and the balance and the harmony, I mean, it's all just stories. It's cool. But this chapter addresses the subject of Kaivalya, the highest form of samadhi or perfect emancipation. So this goes to someone was talking about like running away and going into a cave. Um, this chapter, uh, Patanjali opens with a list of ways in which the siddhas can arise. Merit from practice you did in a former life. It could be genetics. It could be because you're freaking talented and it's just inherent in you. It could be because you keep showing up and you practice and you study and you keep doing it over and over and over and your passion will pay off. 
It could be because you take herbs or other chemicals. People used to do a lot of uh, LSD or a lot of um, weird drugs to find this meditative space. And a heat. People like the heat yoga because it gets you there faster. You know? And then you've got your mantra. Some people like to sing, right? That, that devotional practice, the bhakti yoga, where you sing. Um, tapas is that burning passion, that working really hard. A lot of times people say that um, you can get to a state of samadhi by um, someone touching the top of your head. It's called shantipat. But it has to be like a like a, a guru or like you know someone who's like you know and they touch the top of your head and all of a sudden you're supposed to change. Mm -hmm. Or there's lots of people who wait in line to kiss like famous gurus like Amma to kiss her kiss her feet or get there's called there's a hugging yogi. I think there's a yogi in India right now who calls himself Patanjali and has like you know like he's branded off and has like products and merchandise and stuff. Yeah, and I agree. The word Patanjali, like I think all kids are developing that it's a brand because there is some brands, clothes, everything in yoga is coming. It's it's like. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. I, 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 I think it's awesome. I won't say no to anything. Well, some things. <laughs> Try everything once, and if it doesn't kill you, do it again. I think this um, idea of a foreknowledge of death can be acquired. I, I know we all know people who say they're dying, and you know, Joey can't get to but it's, he, he doesn't die. He amazingly stays alive until he's surrounded by his family and then he dies at the, a certain moment of prayer. Yes, it's amazing. I, just, I do believe that that's something that we... It's a gift. Yeah, there's all kinds of uh, interesting things that happen in... Uh, the idea of 
getting superpowers to your practice. But it means that you're open, mm-hmm. right? And if you're closed off or you're, you have, um, you know, you know people who have all their, um, they hold things close to their chest, right? We know as yogis it's the koshas, it's the layers. What we're trying to do through yoga is peel away the layers, realize that we're all part of this collective, and then these timeless principles have a profound effect on us. I feel like kids are like amazing yogis. Kids are amazing yogis. Yeah. I, mean, I, I feel like I have some of these. Yeah. No. Right. Right. Okay. And then, fascinating enough, someone told you that's weird. Yeah. Right. Or someone said to you, like I had just recently worked with a teenage girl. Her dad and mom are divorced. She sees things. Her mom is telling her she's crazy and is taken to her therapist to like get her head checked out, and she's feeling like shit. And her dad's like, oh, this is interesting. Honor where you're at and just trust yourself. Not distrust, but just trust. And it's fascinating because she's having this really hard time now at school because she can't relate to what's happening with her peers because she doesn't want to get sucked up in this whole teenage melodrama and fear of missing out and, you know, the phones and all that stuff. Because on one hand, she's being told she's crazy. On another hand, she's being told, like, be yourself. It's, yeah, we, everything I'm saying right here, right now, like, you already know. You already are great yoga teachers. You already know. There's something that flipped a switch within you when you went to yoga and you said, I want to be a yoga teacher. You didn't want to sit in a room till 9 p.m. at night and, like, listen to me talk. You, like, knew. There's something about this practice that you knew and it's already there. And what this is teaching you is to cultivate it and then all those magical things will come back. Because you're open to it. Yeah, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. And kids are really good at it. And what's fascinating is, like, I'll go into memory care, and I told you guys a funny story last night about the guy who told me about my boobs and stuff like that. But there's also, like, fascinating things where you see the dude who you know was a total a-hole, probably, like, you know, you could tell from his hands, he worked with his hands, always wears Johnny Cass, really tough, like looks like scary as shit, comes to class with a teddy bear because he's reverted back to his five-year-old person and he's like, Teddy wants to do yoga and the bear was doing yoga with us and breathing and stretching and doing all of these things because he was able to, through this memory loss, this process of peeling away the layers, went back to his, like, simple, simplicity, childlike wonderment, mm-hmm. that naivete. Mm-hmm. My friend probably has Alzheimer's, but he was, like, a Pretense of what he built himself. Yeah, to be there. Yeah, and so now he's like a 
There's a book that I'm reading right now, but um, I think it was actually a movie that man called Ove. Or... Oh, such a good movie, sorry. Oh, okay, so I haven't seen it yet, right? But I'm reading the book, and it's fascinating because he is, he's a Toleho, right? And then you like, all this stuff is happening to him, and he's a softie. He's just like got these walls built, built up. Is it? Yeah. Man called Ove. Ove. It's like Scandinavian or something. It's a yeah. Swedish film. It was part yeah. of the Film Society Film Festival last summer. Yes. And now it's been distributed. Okay, so why? The why? Why we're doing this? Uh, love is the answer, right? But that's the why. But the, that, that, that Shelly's wearing on her shirt. But we're going to walk away with knowing Yoga Chittavriti Narodaha, which is... What does it mean? Blood. What? Yes, just good one. Okay. Everything that we're learning here are just guidelines or the foundation to get rid of pain and suffering, to find harmony and balance and happiness, and to have better health. We're not solving the world's problems here. These are timeless principles to live by because maybe at the time that this was written, there was a lot of death, destruction, and people saying, what, nukia? What did he say today? Nukes? Whatever. He, there's like some really stupid shit happening, right? So, but maybe that's hap that was happening. And there was chaos. And they needed to create these foundations. Yama tir mama. Niyama. Take a shower. You're spreading disease. The flu is going around. Right? You know? I mean, just think of the simplest things. Um, asana, the movement, we needed to move. So we stayed healthy and we didn't, you know, like get sick or like fall over. And then breathing practices because we needed to find things to find peace of mind and calm ourselves down. And then... From those gross subtleties um, of the practice, you went deeper and internally. And you became more grounded and more comfortable and more compassionate. And you realized that you were part of this larger collective and you're not the only one here. And sure, I have weird thoughts. Okay, I don't have to embrace my weird thoughts. They're a part of me. I'm going to accept every facet of my being and embrace who I am but live it fully and authentically. And in turn, it just is like this awesome way to relate to others. It's not like rocket science, right? It's not like I'm saying, like, I just wrote a legal document, right? I'd be really bad at it. Can't you just hug? <laughs> that would be really bad. And I'm, we're not like fixing a car or putting things together, right? All we're doing is creating clarity, focus, discipline, to be free. Anybody not want that? <laughs> Thank you.
Any questions? What's Shtira Sukha Asanam? Yep. Strength and sweetness. Strength. So Sukha is sweet. Sukha is sweet. And Dukkha is like poopy. Dreads. Gross. Dukkha. We don't want Dukkha. We want Sukha. We want sweetness. Think of Sukha. Sugar. Right? So Sukha is strength. Mm. This is thunder. This is lightning. When they come together. Right? And then think of sweetness. So shtira sukha asanam, you're finding the balance. Yep. Yoga is the calming of the <coughs> fluctuations of the mind. This is a philosophy, right? But it's also a practice. And it's a discipline. And you don't get it overnight. You guys are going to be great teachers. You're great humans. You have so much to offer the world. Remember that it's heady stuff. But if you just trust yourself and move slowly into it and practice ahimsa, you're good. And only teach from experience. So if you don't like any of this, at least you can now say, I've studied the sutras. And if you do like this, then you'll start diving deeper. But it's always nice to know the yamas and the niyamas and the eight limbs. And it's always nice as a teacher to at least know that the practice isn't about the physical, but it's about how we are out in the real world, how we interact with other humans. Our time is over. You all did a really good job. Should we go around and say one thing we learned about the um, Yoga Sutras? Let's either go around and say something you learned or something that was an epiphany to you or something that like you really appreciated so that at least we know that you left with something. I'm really glad that Yoga Sutras isn't a band and that it's about being happy because I think that our world needs that now. So that's what I learned. So you found this relatable? So the skill in action versus dogma. 
Yeah. Cool. You can pass if you want. Okay. You just have to point to your t-shirt. You just have to point to your t-shirt. And just to go back to what kind of, because both of you are on the same, similar page, is that like this goes alongside any belief system. Mm -hmm. So I don't want you all to think that it's a religion. It's more of like a spiritual doctrine to open up and be more vulnerable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's a really huge thing, especially when your students ask you. It isn't about a religion. It's about a positive way of living. Thank you. Uh, I feel like what my mom used to say to do is do that and I used to be like, no, why? And now it's coming up again. <laughs>
just more of the surface, and it was kind of like we, and I guess if you use the iceberg analogy or something, we able to see the top of it, and then so it's like, wow, we just got this peak under under the water. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's cool to kind of open up to more of the like, framework and basis of what it is, and I also uh, appreciate the like, spirituality aspect and learning about that. Thank you. So, you know, I do see myself as a very spiritual and, um, you know, a very faithful person. And so for me, it's just so um, confirming um, because I think truth is truth and it's universal. And so, I mean, there's nothing in there that is in conflict with any of my beliefs. It's beautiful. Uh. One thing I really like learning about this stuff is like the depth of the meaning of a lot of these words. And there's so much like you know, imagery and whatnot and storytelling that goes into a lot of like the sutras. And it seems so, you know, basic. <laughs> but it's like it's so deep and then the history is so rich. And I have no idea. Well, thanks for diving deep into the rabbit hole with me and learning the subcontext, right, of the, the meanings of things. It was awesome. I remember that chitta happens, <laughs> right? So don't let all of this stuff go to your heads. You're all awesome, and you already know everything that I'm telling you. And you can contact me at any time. You know how to get a hold of me. And I'm, I'm, you know, like one of your mentors, and I'm on this path and journey with you, so don't feel like you're alone. You can always get a hold of me. Thank you for your time and energy. Thank you.